Pretty much. Right. Okay, Basha, I thought you were in New Zealand. Yes, I was. Uh, I was in New Zealand for five days. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now I'm back. Okay. Oh, five days. That is some serious yeah. jet lag. What did she do there? I don't know. What did you do there? I was just... Um... We made some research about that part of the world, and uh, I met Julia and uh, Millicent there. What kind oh. of research? Um, we had that question: Is that um, what uh, resource, resources has uh, Australia and New Zealand? to take part in the transformation uh, um, that is happening now and in the next years. So that was the question. With how many resources? No, they what have. kind? What I kind know, of resources yeah, they yeah, have? Yeah. That's a scary mm-hmm. question. I Hello, Katarina. Where, Hello. Where, where are you calling from, Mexico? <laughs> now, uh, Portugal. Portugal. Okay. Portugal. Yeah. Welcome. And Ava Daubert, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Große Nohe in Frankish Schweiz. Is that a dessert? Or is it a main course? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> is it, a, it doesn't sound like a town or something. It sounds like something to no, eat. No, it's like 10 houses. 10 houses. Wow. And sheep, they have as many sheep like they have in New Zealand? No, horses and goats. Goats, okay. (laughs) Jeff, where are you calling from? I'm at Tierra Amor. Somebody has roosters. Is that you, Jeff? You got the roosters? No. Dorothea, where are you calling from? I'm in Mexico and I have this rooster noise almost all the day, but tonight from two o'clock. So I'm really tired. (laughs) Yeah, they are really loud. Time for chicken soup. (laughs) Too bad that I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) We can sell it. <laughs> you change your mind about it. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to the Building Love That Lasts study group. And Chloe was trying to convince me to actually read from the book tonight. And <laughs> so, in case you want to follow along, we're on page 228. And about, we're in the map of the four secrets of bringing your life to life. So, we've been really hanging out in this experiment section a lot. And I feel really glad about it. We've discovered a lot of new experiments to try and people have been sharing a lot about how valuable that is to actually regard relating as experiment rather than as a possession of something that works or doesn't work, but actually as a field of experiment for for doing things that not even your parents did or anybody else that you know. It's trying things that they don't know how to do. And so it's 
it's fascinating to consider how how far away from the norm of modern society we can go in our relating and what what is valuable to us in our relating and so to to point that out i'm just going to go through this map of the four secrets of bringing your life to life and the point of that of bringing your life to life is if you're not bringing your life to life what are you bringing to your partner are you bringing them problems are you bringing them your victimhood you know your your past history all your pains and wounds you know the dead parts of yourself you know what are you bringing your partner so the point of bringing your life to life is that you have some possibility of of bringing your partner something more interesting than a rerun television show so secret number 1 it says this is the greatest i mean janet you right at the end of the last session you mentioned the fifth secret what, do you remember what that was what you said bring life to life it was i just gave the summary okay all right <laughs> all right but there's some tricks so secret number 1 this is the greatest secret of bringing your life to life and it is that the edges of your box are not permanent they're not solid they're actually asserted by yourself so they're not permanent from the center of your box when you're when you're located more towards the center of your habits and your uh, survival strategies the the edges look as solid as a brick wall but when you get up close to the edge of your box you can see the edges are only as solid as a brick wall painted on tissue paper like you paint the brick wall on tissue paper you can push your finger right through the edge the key question about this whole painting the brick wall on tissue paper is who is the artist who painted the edge of your box to look like that and the answer of course is yourself and and the question is well why and the answer is because, well, that's the only thing we thought of, the best thing we thought of to survive, to protect ourselves, to survive. And we painted it so it looks that way. And it's very, so that's why, that's why it's so important to do the feelings work part of this is because when we go right up to the edge of our box and we start seeing that it is an illusion, it's actually this thin tissue paper thing that we thought was solid as a brick wall, then fear comes up because it's so unfamiliar to have so much power with regards to a thing that looks so solid and immovable, impenetrable. And so this, this force of fear is almost a compass that you can use. And Chloe has been working on a reality compass, but you can use this compass following the fear right to the edge of your box. And it's the opposite of what we've been trained to do with fear, because fear is usually the thing that we go away from, those things that we're afraid we go away from them. And so when you when you take responsibility for being the artist, for being the one who says, I cannot do this, this is too much for me, or this is not enough for me, or this is beyond my capacity, or I don't know how to do this, or that's too scary, all of those limits that are painted around the edge of our box 
if you take responsibility for having painted those things, then you suddenly get a key for how to work with them. And, and that is to find out when, how, and why you painted the, what, the edge of your box to look like that. What, what, why did you do it like that? So then all of a sudden you go to secret number two. And secret number two is as soon as you see an edge, you are at the edge. What that means is just seeing the edge makes it possible to go there and experiment. So most people, if you think about your friends or what you what what people talk about with you all day long, in the ordinary way, most of them will not have an edge work conversation. They will not speak about a risky conversation of, well, I'm not certain, or this is a a, a scary thing for me to try, or here's the experiments I'm working on, or here are the questions that I'm really carrying with me. This is not the conversation that most people have. Most people just uh, stay away from even looking at the edge, you know, so it's really a blindfolding situation most people have. So just seeing the edge makes it possible to go to the edge and start experimenting. Whenever someone or something causes you to recognize an edge of your box, you can make it a practice in yourself to feel grateful. You can go, God, thank you. You can really, you know, there were there have been times in my life when I've even paid people when when they would uh, were able to offend me or to make me reactive. I would actually pay them ten dollars or ten euros. Just and I was to to express my gratitude because because there I am in an experimental place. The more unexpected the edge you find for your box, the more unexpected it is, the more opportunity it represents. And probably there have been times in your life when you just go, "Gosh, I never thought I had this kind of an edge. I never thought that." And uh, and then and then what that means is there's a lot to mine there. There's gold, there's treasure in there. There's really a because you've been hiding it from yourself for a long time, whatever that is, uh, whatever like feedback you get or something like that that surprises you. There's there's so much treasure in there. So the more so the more unexpected the edge, the more opportunity it represents. And the question here is even here. At this edge, am I okay? And it's a great, you know, some people, some of us, we have this thing like, I'm never okay. You know, there's no, there's nothing I could do to really be okay. You know, I could, you know, I could always prove to you why I'm not okay in any situation. Does anybody know anybody like that who just kind of like is never, never okay? Does anybody know anybody like that? few people all right <laughs> well yeah so even here at the edge am i okay that's an excellent thing to ask yourself in particular like for the next time you're in a some kind of a liquid state or you're meeting some kind of challenge that is seems to be stressing you out or if it's it just seems impossible or it just seems like it uh like sometimes people have so much good fortune that it overwhelms them it's like it's like, how can I how can I be have such good fortune? And then it's like the system collapses. 
So even here at the edge, am I okay? This is a great question. And secret number three, there are no special qualifications for doing edge work experiments. Why are you laughing? I read the next sentence. Oh, (laughs) I better read the next sentence. You do not have to be licensed, rich, sexy, lucky, Italian, spiritually enlightened, (laughs) or have a certain IQ to do edge work experiments. You can just really do edge work experiments. Go ahead and do whatever responsible edge work experiments turn you on. The The key question is, who should give me permission? You know, who out there is going to be qualified or whatever licensed to to certify you to do this kind of experiment? There's nobody out there. There's nobody out there. And the only person stopping you is yourself. And so, but, you know, you can turn this thing around. And it turns out if you actually, if you're doing edge work experiments, it turns out you have a license. You are rich. You're sexier, luckier, more Italian. (laughs) You're more spiritually enlightened. And you have a higher IQ. Q when you're doing edge work experiments. So now that would be really seven good reasons to do edge work experiments, I would say. You know, because, you know, are the experiments going to work? Well, you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But the thing is, most of the time we learn stuff when we're doing experiments. And so if you're out there fucking up, you know, making mistakes, crashing and burning and go, oops, I need a do over. Oops, I need a do over. You know, if you please give me feedback. Oh, gosh, that's a mess or whatever the thing is. You know, that's wild. This is the rich, sexy Italian part of the job. You know, spiritually enlightened, man, you just go for it. Fling yourself off, you know, into the edge. Just fling yourself out there. I don't know if you ever get a chance to do this, but if you ever can be near an ocean where the water, you know, where it's safe or whatever, and there's some kind of waves and it's not too freezing cold, whatever. You just go out about about um, a little above your knees deep. And then when a wave comes, instead of starting, trying to stay on your feet, you just wildly kind of throw yourself into the wave, like sideways, backwards, throw, just throw yourself out. And it's it's better even than a trampoline. You know, if you fall on a trampoline the wrong way, you can pull a muscle or hurt yourself. But in the ocean, when this wave comes, you just throw yourself out there. And it catches you. It's a soft, you have to hold your breath, of course. And then after a while, you have to find which way's up and get back up there to get your next breath of air. But that that kind of a flinging yourself into it attitude is so wonderful because it's like uh, it's like there's no gravity in the water. You, you know, it doesn't pull you down and crash you on something hard. It fling it bubbles you around and flings you around. And it's it's a. It's a pre, it's a prerequisite that kind of an action of being able to just fling yourself wildly into a wave is a prerequisite sort of uh, approach to learning to fly. And what I mean by learning to fly is entering the groundless states, groundlessness. It's part of flying school, and so that would be a preparatory thing. So every time you you get a chance with the ocean, just just fling yourself out there. People go, what the hell are you doing? And you just go, I'm practicing flying. You should try it. And what do you mean flying? Well, that will, that will be the beginning of an interesting conversation. (laughs) All right. So secret number four is edge work is personal and not ready-made. You must do it yourself. 
So here's the secret. You already have everything that you need to do edge work experiments. You already have everything that you need. And the thing about it being not ready-made means that it's, it's improvised, that you need to invent. You need to invent your conditions or your challenges or how do you measure if the experiment's working or not. Is you, you, and you get to set up the, the design of the experiment because nobody else around you is doing that kind of stuff. And it's a, for me anyway, it's a fun, exciting thing to design kind of wild little experiments for myself and go ahead and do them and uh, just see what happens um, and then deal with the circumstance. I mean, and Chloe and I tonight were just recently at a, a Vietnamese restaurant where they had this kind of a, a burner underneath a, a iron hot pot thing, basically water with some vegetables and stuff in it. And so this flame was it was a blue like blob of gel that was burning. And so I'm sitting there and I wanted, to, it, it was boiling our broth to, to evaporation. And I, I said, okay, I'm just going to blow it out. So I start trying to blow on this thing. And the more I blew on it, the bigger the flame got. So it was like, oops. And, and so, okay, I'm glad I, the wall didn't catch on fire or the curtains or something when I was trying to blow the thing out because, so it's like, it was just a little experiment, and I had to do that in front of Aunt Chloe. Now, Aunt Chloe and I, we do experiments in front of each other. It's part of our mutual entertainment agreement. So sometimes Aunt Chloe will do incredible <laughs> experiments right in front of me. And basically what I do is clap. You know, I, I'm appreciative of whatever kind of mess she makes for herself. <laughs> and she does the same for me. And so every now and then I will try to join her one of her experiments or she'll try to join me in one of my experiments. And those are, it's a, it's a kind of experimental intimacy. Even if, you know, I cannot do what she's doing or she, she can't do what I'm doing. The, the fact that we're trying is intimate. It opens up a whole new kind of intimacy. And so you already have everything that you need to do edge work. You have had everything you need for a long time. You just need to remember that you are an edge worker and keep practicing, which means keep doing edge work experiments. The key question there is, if not me, then who? You know, if you see an experiment to do, it's your experiment to do. It's kind of like if you see a job to do, it's your job to do. So in there will be times, and I'm not thinking of one right now, but there'll be times when a whatever, I'll be walking down the street or sitting at an airport lounge or I don't know what, walking around in a shop and all of a sudden I'll see an experiment to do. Now, I usually don't even hesitate much anymore. I just go do the experiment. And right, you know, before I was standing next to Anne Chloe and then she turns around and I'm over trying on some kind of underwear or talking to some person about the contents of some gnarly looking, whatever it is, herbs or something. And and we we just have the agreement that if I'm going to disappear for too far for too long, I'll try to tell her before. But the same thing with her, because I'll turn around sometimes and she just won't be there. <laughs> She'll be like, gone. What was that last one? Yeah, in Nelson Airport. What were you doing? <laughs> Getting a chai. <laughs> it wasn't a big anyway, experiment. <laughs> I turn around and it was like, just gone. No. So anyway, but it's like, a, it's a really cool 
uh, sort of, I don't know what you call it, it's a chamber for a place to be intimate together with doing edge work experiments as edge workers. And and I I mean I think experiments are everywhere. They're really all really available all the time. And it's I mean maybe if I would add a secret is to keep the door open. Is to is to have the door to the space of there is an experiment right now and you know, I we get to travel a lot, so we get to sit in airports and in bus station and train station, all this stuff. And now I'm getting this experiment of when I sit there, I'm gonna open this door. What experiment? What what experiment is available right now? And to and to carry that question. Anything about the four secrets? Okay, so being involved, I'm still on page 228, being involved with originating an experiment means that you are creating in a pure form. You get that? It's like there's this whole, people have these big questions about what non-material value is. And almost all edge work experiments that re- with regards to relating are non-material and so when you are creating a non-material experiment and formulating it, it's, it says you're creating in the pure form, but you're also creating non-material value. You're formulating a possibility space where some awareness expansion or uh, skill development can happen. And that's a huge value, value non-material value. And so the better you get at originating experiments, the more value you can offer in in so many situations. And so I encourage you as as an experiment for this week is to keep developing to an absurd level of effectiveness, this ability to design, you know, formulate an experiment, an edge work experiment, because it's a pure form experiment, a pure pure form creation. You're creating as the source of creating. You are creating as the source of creating. Nobody's giving you an assignment. It's your, it's your, you, you think of it, you try it, you do it, you work it out, but it's a pure form creation as the source of creating. This is amazing stuff. So by placing yourself in the driver's seat of an experiment, you are solely responsible for the outcome. Creators who take this level of responsibility often report that creating feels like being in extraordinary human love. When you're creating stuff like that, the sensation is like being extraordinary human love. The tactile presence of love in your world while while you're creating experiments the tactile presence of love establishes the connection between creating and relating. Relating is ongoing, nonlinear creating. This is such a key. I don't know if I've said that enough in the last months of our study group, but creating is relating is ongoing, nonlinear creating. And the, and the key word there is nonlinear. It isn't about forcing yourself to pump out, you know, as much creation as you can. This is like 
trying to manipulate yourself. It's it's more about accessing the nonlinear. So the nonlinear simply means unexpected, unpredictable, uncontrollable, surprising. It can cause healing. It can cause uh, awareness expansion. All this is nonlinearity. So relating is ongoing experiment. You choose a partner with whom to do the experiments and you learn to do experiments together. Then relating is no longer a static thing, but a continuous dance of discovery and adventure, not as a fantasy, but as a never ending series of multidimensional experiments investigating the nature of love and what is possible as a human being. That's the whole that's the whole secret right there. Edgework experiments bring extraordinary human relating to life. All right. We finally get to a section called Edgework Experiments. <laughs> so I don't know what it's going to say, but we're, that's where we are. Page 228 it says, now that you have a clear idea about what edges are and what experimenting is, remember, remember that to do edgework you simply, number one, choose an exciting edge. Two, go all the way to the edge and stay there. And three, do edge work experiments. While doing your experiments, keep in mind that the immediate natural feeling response to entering the unknown is fear. As a child, that fear was interpreted as curiosity and excitement. So try interpreting it the same way now as an adult. Feeling the fear of not knowing is a reliable indicator that you are in the unknown. So if you feel that fear, it means you're in the unknown. Do not put the fear away or numb the fear. Instead, welcoming welcoming your feelings will help you use the feelings to effectively navigate. Sorry effectively navigate through unknown territories. Mixing thing, mix things up and tell yourself, it is okay to not know how to do this. And then while not knowing how to do it, just see what you see and feel what you feel without trying to fit in anywhere. This means that you might not know what it is that you are experiencing at first or how it works or how it all fits together. But it also makes even ordinary experiences remarkably fresh and invigorating. For example, hold a grape in your hand for a moment without giving it the name grape. You look at the thing and go, what's this thing? You know, normally we, we look at a grape and we automatically pigeonhole this thing called grape in the word grape, and then we don't even notice it anymore. But if you look at the, you know, green blobby thing, you know, a purple blobby thing and just sit there and go, there's, there's this thing, you know, whatever. Don't give it the name grape. And then, then put it in your mouth. And instead of having a known object in your mouth, you see this, you think you have this experience of this green or purple or whatever blob. And you think, wow, what is this amazing thing? It is exciting to perceive things raw, even if you do not know what they are. Noticing new unnamed things builds matrix and expands your box. There is a refreshing excitement in beholding an unnamed thing. The experience of not knowing 
signals the chance to explore new possibilities. I, I don't know if it's going to say it in the rest of the book, but you know, a, num a number of you are nomad, and and that's a it's really an opportunity. I mean, about grapes, we bought grapes like a few days ago here in Vietnam, and they kind of look kind of these ordinary green grapes. And I put one in my mouth, and it's about 20 times more sweet than any grape that I've ever tasted. And I get, you know, and I get this shock of, in a way, it's like an assumption or an expectation I had about the grape. And it's, um, it's just fantastic to, to travel into all these different countries. And then to go to the market and buy stuff. It's like you try to ask what it is and the people don't even speak English. And it's like, okay, I'm just, just give me six of those. <laughs> I mean, try them. And, and that's been, um, I mean, whatever, for example, even in labs, we usually, um, buy some weird food. Like we'd buy some Asian food for people in, in Europe who just don't know anything about Asia. Like so many Europeans have never been to Asia. So they don't know that there's a thing called uh, tofu sheets. You know, so we buy those or, or tofu paprikash. So, you know, whatever, that's a, it's actually a, a Chechnyan thing. But Portuguese people don't know about tofu paprikash, but there's a woman from Brazil who came to our lab and tasted this Chechnyan soup. And she couldn't believe how good it tasted that she cooked it on, on Christmas Day for her family back in Brazil. I mean, it was like, so mm, anyway, I mean, there's there's so many experiments I mean, right now we're talking about physical um, things, which is, you know, it's easier to notice the expectation or the assumption you have about physical things because they're outside, they're outside of us. And, but even then there's so many experiments to, you know, organize a dinner for 10 people and you only, you know, cook food that, you know, nobody will know. And then you get to have this total experiential reality food dinner where you know immediately people are in liquid state and something else can come up and and then the next you know i don't know what the book is going to say but the next level of that is okay there there are inner experiences like our inner navigation thinking that like we know what a relationship is or we know who our partner is or we know how breakfast goes or what vacation is like all this stuff that are inner experience they're not really outside of us and and that would i think that would be the next to move from relating to outside thing differently to then to relate to inner things differently or raw like it was invited does anybody want to share anything right now hey christina Hey, yes, I I relate to this experiment because I'm doing this right now, planning the meal for for the um, the woman's space we plan in Germany outside, um, which which was coming out of the Dach team in in Germany, and like five women of us signed up, and we try to figure out how to plan the meal so it's. I don't know, whatever that is, experiential woman space with having very, I don't know, extraordinary meals that we didn't have yet in labs or that we didn't experience yet. And so I'm trying to create this right now as, as a form of, a, of an experiment. So it's not just, okay, we eat together and we have this food that we know or typical German dishes. And yeah, that's 
that's what I want to share. Thank, Thank you. you. Anyone else want to share anything right now? Okay. So I'm just going to keep going here. We have so many edges and we can reach them so quickly. You know best how. Keep your edge work experiments simple, but most importantly, keep staying on the edge. After an experiment, take time to write a journal entry or a few paragraphs about your experience, like what happened, what did you notice? If you agree at the outset that your writing does not have to make sense or be grammatically correct, then you can write more freely and accurately about what exactly happened. So don't try to correct yourself while you're writing about experiments. In Edgework experiments, the observations and communications tend to be less intellectual and more experiential. Instead of writing in ways that everybody is accustomed to reading, try using language as a bridge to communicate your original experience. Some people find themselves drawing more pictures or writing in free verse poetry, or using words as artistic forms. So the, I'm going to go back above here. There's a box that I skipped over called Experiments for Four Bodies. And because since the book was written, we've been exploring the fifth body, there will be actually experiments for five bodies. And it says, because we live quintophonically, not just quadraphonically, through five bodies, physical body, intellectual body, emotional body, energetic body, and archetypal body, you can do edgework experiments in these same five domains. While designing and engaging in your edgework experiments, direct part of your attention to noticing the balance in your experimental diet. Is it common tendency to overdo one kind of edgework experiment not realizing that you are completely ignoring one or more of the other four kinds of bodies. In the same way that a balance of food nutrients nurture extraordinary physical health, a balance of five kinds of edgework experiments are needed to nurture extraordinary human relating. This is, it's so simple. This is, it's so unthought of and so simple. So physical edge work experiments include diet, exercise, how you groom yourself, how you move, how you stand or sit, the timing of your actions, how you breathe, learning physical skills such as balancing, centering, using tools and equipment, engaging in new physical intimacies such as travel to different cultures or wearing different clothing, dancing, swimming, sporting skills, Gardening, hiking, health treatments, fasting, and meditation. These are all physical edgework experiments that you can do with your partner. Intellectual edgework experiments include studying wildly new topics. So I don't know how many of you do this, but uh, reading a book with your partner is incredibly joyful, joint adventure. You're going to say something? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we do that a lot, and Chloe and I, and, and it's just fun to uh, add whatever, 
add uh, character voices and body actions and stuff like that with what's going on and then stop and, you know, really dive deeper than the book goes into certain areas. It's just a wonderful framework for intimacy. So intellectual edge work experiments include expanding your vocabulary, learning new languages, experiencing new levels of clarity or confusion. There's another one that uh, we've been playing around with, which is just accents. So different accents uh, for different languages. So it's a, uh, it's uh, usually causes me to laugh hysterically. So I'm not going to do it right now, but there are these, there are these um, accents that you can do from different parts of different countries that have different characters that go along with it. And we, we usually believe ourselves to be one character, but in fact, we're just pretending to be one character. So if you let yourself have access to more of the characters that you are, the, the it's delightful kinds of intimacy show up from one character that you could not do as another character. So, you know, there's people, you can be, you know, a guy who was put in prison because he eats pages from books and he goes in the library and just starts eating books and then, He's and then you have to explain yourself to people because you can't you're you have to you're so emphatically committed to eating books whatever there's there's so many characters you can take you can be a, a rabbit farmer you know and you're 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 growing um, killer rabbits you know these things that just attack and kill people and it's a surprising event you can, there's just just different characters you can be in your conversation all right. Uh, so we're still doing intellectual edge work experiments. So that includes uh, sharing core understandings that you have, like revealing what's really going on as your, your worldview, uh, playing games, exploring entertainment and media, creating poetry or theatrical pieces, expanding your abilities to improvise, going beyond knowing into being okay with not knowing, because all the intellectual is about knowing and still taking responsibility and being able to commit to producing an outcome when you don't even know how. Mixing with others of wildly different professions or backgrounds. You know, so most of the time you go to a party or something and you hang out with the people who you think will be your friends or or accustomed, you know, who are... Uh, you think that they have something in common with them. Well, instead, go hang out with the people you know you don't have anything in common with them. You know, this is an edge work experiment. Extending your abilities to ask dangerous questions and letting others ask you dangerous questions. So, do you want to say anything right now? No. All right. I'd like if each of you could please share a recent kind of dangerous or exciting edge work experiment that you've been doing. I mean, Demetra started the call by telling us that she she fired her the man who was giving her an, a car driving license test. She fired him. She said, "Pull over the road. This is over. You know, I'm, we're not doing this anymore. You're just a you're just a patriarch. We're not playing this game anymore." And she fires him. So something like that, if you could each share something that you've been working on, it'd be great to to hear about it. Jeff, you're on. 
Yes. Uh, so this uh, this woman that I'm navigating with, uh, she decided to create a a series for women about their cycles, like to explore their cycles. And I said, I want I want to do this. Like, <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do this for men to learn. And I. I have no clue how it goes. And I said, I'm going to need your help, but I want to create the, the same space for men mm. because I want to learn about it. So that's my mm. current experiments. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody else. My experiment today was five of the warrioresses came over for emotional healing processes and one of them brought her mum and her mum's been in serious I'm being discreet in case they listen to this many 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 layers of trauma and I was on my edge because these people have been together for a long time this is brand new from modern culture so I left her for a while and her daughter was doing an emotional healing process. And I asked the person, can I put my hands on your shoulders? I had a sense to touch her energetic body. She was right around here. She started really crying. And I hadn't pushed, I hadn't connected so much with the mum she'd been watching. And I simply went, oh, my tummy's going. That was all. And she came over and she put her hands where mine were, and completely healed this cycle of where she couldn't be there for her daughter. Wow. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. So being on that edge, um, yeah, that was my experiment this, today. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Janet. I'm thinking about what you just said, Janet, and I, I never thought, you know, because there's these each emotional healing process dojo, which is, you know, a different setting than what you had, where you were basically the main space holder. But this, to have an EHP dojo for women, and maybe one, you know, for men, where different um, layers of healing can happen, just because of the different kind of, like the purpose of the space. So... Mm-hmm. Just making the invitation out there because I know there's a number of EHP dojo space holders here and also listening to the recording. Thank you. Somebody else? I have another one. Uh, in a group that I'm that I'm part of, we decided to start experimenting with the relationship between low drama and the physical body. So exploring body posture and how it reveals or can give hints about low drama and then trying new body positions and see how it as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a doorway. Yeah, the ostrich, you know, the tiger, <laughs> you know. The palm tree. <laughs> well, one of one of the things that that I that we just I just came out of nothing for me to to bring in was if you put your arms like this, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nearly impossible to do low drama. Yeah. You can't do it. (laughs) And if you do like this, it's kind of impossible not to do low drama. If you're you're down. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a great Edgework experiment to walk through the middle of town with your arms up like this. And it just, I mean, in one lab, we made this agreement with everybody to, as a way of acknowledging when you're actually feeling at least 3% happy, minimum 3% happy or more, up to 100% happy, that you put your arm up like this. Just put your hand up. Because people were so, uh, whatever, unaccustomed to acknowledging when they were feeling happy. And it it turned out people were so blown away by how often and even for how long. I mean, the arm would start getting tired. You had to change arms (laughs) They're being, they were staying happy at least 3% for so long. And to do that, and it was sort of like, um, I don't know, we were doing something, we were shopping somewhere, and, and we were broken up in a team, and we're looking across the store, and some people are over there with their arms up, you know, in the store, and they go, there's, there's one of us, you know, there's somebody, that, well, that person over there is happy. And, you know, and then I feel happy because they feel happy. And it, this is, people had no idea what we were doing with it. It was great fun. So, I mean, that hasn't fallen off, that thing, that experiment. I've, people still remember that. So you can take that on. Just just 3% happy, you put your arm up and go, what's going on? And I go, I, I feel more than 3% happy. What about you? You know, <laughs> how are you doing? So, so Bazia, come on. You got to say something about your experiments. Um, my experiment now is to spend the Easter alone, and it is first time of my in my life, and it's um, it's hard because my parents think that I'm a good uh, bad mother for my son, and he's now with them and not with me. So yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I thought it was actually impossible on Easter to spend Easter alone because somehow the Easter bunny always finds you. <laughs> you can't be, it's a bad day to try to be alone because that Easter bunny finds you wherever you are. So, but all right, we'll vote for you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, wow. Okay. Katarina, how, what kind of experiments are you doing out there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what what that experience is. Um, I I've noticed, uh, and I'm more and more conscious of of the way I feel, and so I notice that I'm more and more uncomfortable, which I feel is uh, as a good thing. So I'm less comfortable with with my life, with ordinary situations. But I I still didn't build up the courage of doing just weird things. <laughs> I still can't can't go there. But I I feel this blocking more and more strongly, and uh, I feel sadness lots of times because I cannot go over it. 
So I think I actually I I'm in some kind of a way to get there, but I still couldn't get there. You know, it's one of the easy ways to start doing these kinds of edge work experiments is really small things. So for example, you can you know, if you go shopping somewhere, you get you get one of these kind of plastic flowers and you just stick it in your teeth like Or you go on your shopping, you know, you go to and you and you don't take it out when you're trying to talk to the cash lady. You have to <laughs> How much did it cost? And it's it's really simple little things that uh, start you, where you can start that because like you know is there a problem? I mean, what's the problem to put you know to carry around? Is there a problem with? It? Is there a law against it? Is it immoral? No. Is it fattening? You know? <laughs> no, I mean you just carry around this plastic flower in your teeth and. And, and and people, you know, might ask you why, but it, it really empowers you to get to be yourself because you're not like anybody else. Each one of us here is different from everybody else around. And yet we try to pretend as if we're the same. And so then when we try to relate, we're relating as a pretend person. And then we don't, we don't feel connected and they don't feel connected. There's no real connection because we're a fake person trying to be something fake that is is like everybody else. And so to be yourself is different. It is weird. I don't care who it is. To be yourself is weird. You can wear the same clothes as everybody, eat the same food as everybody, you know, and, and still you are different. And so your uniqueness, you can start to own that by simple little experiments of not doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. So, you know, putting your arm up, putting our torso on your So these kinds, thank you very much. These kinds of things are, are so valuable and yet so simple and, and so scary. Uh, but it's actually fun. There's this kind of fun because, you know, if you've made it to spend the time to come to a study group like this, you're not a zombie. It's a detector for you not being a zombie. So, so you can pat yourself on the back and go, I have proof. Now I'm I am not a zombie. <laughs> I am not a zombie. But there's so many people out there who are not in this little group tonight. And so how do you tell if they're zombies? And, in, and if you're going around pretending to be like them, then you're pretending to be like a zombie. And then it's like, God, what could be more boring than that? And so, don't ask. You might get an answer. So, so it's um, <laughs> this is like z- zombie slaying. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's almost a, an obligation to not be a zombie. If you're not a zombie, if you cannot be a zombie, it's almost an obligation to not be a zombie. To make it obvious that you're not, you're not a zombie. And so, because um, I, you don't know, you know, there's so many people out there who are stuck in the patterns of copying zombie behavior, and they've never seen anything different from that. That if you do not, if you have the freedom, the possibility to not be a zombie and demonstrate it, 
it could give so much possibility to so many people to also start not being a zombie. And so this is a, I don't know, we haven't really investigated that before, how, what an obligation that is in terms of being an evolutionary, being an archon, you know, somebody from archiarchy, being uh, an adult, being centered. I mean, I remember when I first started discovering being centered, you know, you, I would I would always walk on edges of things. So no matter where I was, people were walking down the street somewhere. I'm walking on the edge of the curb. I'm walking on cracks. I'm walking on boards. I'm walking on, you know, the edges of things. And people are just going, what are you doing, you know? And I'm going, I'm I'm being centered. And they, I, I said, try to push me off. And they would push me and I would come back and I'd go, okay, now you do it. And, they, you know, I would just look at them and they'd fall over. So they go, you're not centered. And then so... It's, it has a, a whole element of aliveness by, I mean, that's the kind of the opposite of a zombie is being alive. You know, zombies are walking dead. So uh, being alive is that if you can be alive and you don't show that you can be alive, probably there's this fear that the zombies are just going to eat you or kill you again. You know, like we all have these past life experiences of being banished or attacked or, or tortured or whether from being different, but that's not the case now. You can actually be yourself now in the world and not, and not suffer the consequences. So if you, if you can do that and you do not do that, there's a way you're betraying uh, the offers that are being given to you. Like the earth coincidence control office wants to put you in situations where you can do the most good, where you can actually benefit the most people and so like janet hold on jeff just a second like janet was saying how she she trusted her intuition and did this whole physical thing with her hands and how it opened up this whole healing process and it wasn't from her mind and it wasn't from a procedure she did before it was a completely improvised and and then echo the earth coincidence control ups could work through janet like that and jeff what were you thinking of well when as you were sharing this, I got this distinction it's like between experimenting and seeking attention because this thing of putting a flower in your mouth or doing, could just be like some, but the, the distinction is about like staying awake. And it's like, because I'm doing this because I want to see what happens, not I'm doing this because I, I, I want anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that was really big because I think what happens for me sometimes is I, I have a fear that I'm going to be perceived as like uh yeah or or that i'm doing it because i just want attention or i just want to be that you know the center of attention some somehow and so to 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 really focus on staying like why am i doing this first of all and and then staying awake through the process of like noti- noticing so yeah. yeah totally totally and where we're going with that as a practice is being able to say what you want because that's the next level. Because if you if you if you cannot be perceived as different, then you cannot say what you want if other people might not understand you, or if other people want other things, or if it's a non-standard thing that you want. Or even if you say that you want something and you already know it's impossible, but you say but you say you want it anyway, even though you know it's impossible, because otherwise you're lying to yourself. Like I'm telling you, you know, I want to eat 
you know, 47 different ice cream flavors. I want to, you know, walk on the wing of one of those airplanes while it's doing a wing over flip. You know, I want to be able to, you know, I, I want to go over and tell, you know, president, whoever, you know, you got your head up your ass. You know, I want to be able to do that. And I know, you know, they would kill me before that would happen or whatever. You know, I'd kill myself by falling off the airplane or whatever. But it was like, I still want to do it. And I, I will tell people what I want to do, even though I know it's impossible. And it's, it's a way of letting yourself be known. But if it's not okay to be perceived as being a little weird or different from other people, you won't say what you want. And if you don't say what you want, how can you relate? How can you radically relate with people if you don't say what you want? And it's a great conversation just to look across from a person and go, well, I want this. What do you want? And they just say what you want. And go, and, but I want, I want this. And it's not an argument. I'm not saying about arguing. I'm saying to let your soul speak or your heart speak or your, you know, your being speak about what you want. And um, to, as a way of sharing it. That's what I'm talking about. And so a person goes for a couple minutes to sharing what you want, and then the other person goes, and it could be wanting completely different, even opposite things. It doesn't matter because what you're doing is sharing about what you want. Mark, were you going to say something? I had an experience last night where I went up to a fast food drive-in with no car <laughs> and I negotiated with the guys through the window to give me a meal because I wanted food at 10 o'clock because I hadn't really eaten most of the day. I'm in a really strange situation. I'm here in North Carolina where my sister is and nothing has gone according to any type of plan or arrangement. <laughs> So I'm improvising almost constantly. And last night was a good example of improvising. And it was like, uh, you're worried that I'm not legit. So I'll show you I'm legit. I took my wallet out. I took money out of my wallet. I held it. I said, I want your $5 special. Here's the money for it. And he's like saying, you don't have a car. You don't have a car. And he's fixing the meal. <laughs> so it's like great I got my food and I left you should have gone <laughs> I like the $5 he stuffed a straw in the bag before I could <laughs> wave him off so I was a little torqued at that but other than that yeah the straw thing is really hard yeah. I, I got I just I have to, I have to jump in here. We, we've done this experiment with several people, like in, as if we're in a car. Yeah. Driving up to the drive through. Several people. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so fun. Never crossed my mind. I'll try that next time. Yeah, bring somebody. Yeah, just, what do you mean? I'm not in a car. <laughs> you have to roll down the window, you know? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Who who else? Dorothea, what kind of experiments have you been doing? I do experiments about um, not having expectations, which is one oh. of the, my biggest uh, gremlin behavior to have expectations. 
And uh, I have a lot of struggle with, with companies, institutions, since I can think. And now I have the experiment that I pretend to be a very friendly person <laughs> that is very understanding about the others. And so I'm uh, creating messages and letters which are very formulated from yeah, being on their side instead of uh, saying what I want and what I think that it should be like this and da-da-da. And um, the, the last success was a fight with a flight company because they destroyed something in my luggage and they said, like, you have to stay... Uh, tell them, you have to tell them, you have to tell them, you have to tell them. So like they were all not responsible. I said, how can that be? And at the final end, uh, I um, was talking to Lufthansa, which was not at all the company I was flying with, but very friendly and understanding and da, 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 da. And at the end, they had a law that they can't recover, but they, but they recovered for uh, Kulans. And I think if I would have been in my, my gremlin state, like uh, you have to and I want and that is not happening here and I don't accept that, I think they, they wouldn't have a refund. But mm -hmm. so that strategy works and it's still challenging, especially also in the conversation with finding land with Mexican and not answering and, and uh, not answering the questions and whatever to, to, to stay in that. I, I don't want to manipulate them in a way, which sometimes feels like that, that I try to manipulate and I, I really have to, to, to work on my inner attitude of whatever happens, it's okay. And I'm happy that, um, Right now, I think it's, I thought there is a, a, a danger that it's illusion, that, that I pretend uh, that I don't care. But uh, surprisingly, I think it's not illusion. I can, I, I can let it even if I'm not su uh, succeeding, um, being like that. And yeah, that's very interesting. Maybe not always, but more and more. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Dorothea. Yeah. Yeah, it gives me an idea for another experiment people could do, which is just in case you ever criticize yourself or judge yourself or blame yourself or you hate yourself or you don't like yourself, if, if anybody has any of those things, you could develop this, this character, exactly what you're saying, which is I'm really actually a friendly person. <laughs> and you could actually be a friendly person to yourself and see and do that for three months. Just be an absolutely friendly person to yourself for three months and see what, what shows up from that. Cause it would be, I think, I think it's such a foreign, uh, I don't know. Some, we get this idea that it, the more, we, if we can really beat ourselves up, we can, you know, criticize ourselves, judge ourselves, punish ourselves like that. And, try to whip ourselves into shape, then we're being a good person, something like that. Mm -hmm. Or we're being, we're being, we'll change or yeah, we're, we're, we're pleasing other people. people. Other people will like us. But if you, 
turn into a friendly person towards yourself for three months as a as your general approach you know oh hey how are you doing this morning oh great yeah gosh you know you had the wrong color socks on oh yeah that again i love it when you wear multi-socks you know you're late for your appointment yeah well there was this stuff going on yeah i understand totally gosh that's all right then you know i thought you could come up with 10 better experience you know excuses let me help you i can help you make up really good excuses however you want to be friendly with yourself like that let's take it on Let's see what happens. <laughs> Christina, you gonna you gonna share one? Yes. <laughs> um I am I'm doing the experiment right now in holding my sword, not letting it fall off when I'm with a man that I just met. And I'm constantly processing and seeing, okay, okay, don't go there. Don't go in child ego state. No, don't go there. And it's like, I I kind of created a battlefield for myself. <laughs> That's how it feels like. But also getting another distinction on how, what does it really mean to not let my guard down in, in the way of I'm the guardian for myself and this is how it goes and this is what's possible with me right now or not and to have like the clarity in every moment to not slip into any kind of gremlin food and yeah it's like it's very it's a lot i i feel it's a lot because i i have not been there before not let myself be a woman that is is consumed by men or uh, another compensation or yeah so that's my experiment right now yeah thank you <clears throat> really a needed experiment a really perfect experiment you know I, my thinking is that if you it doesn't take so long, a couple of weeks, I don't know, a month to to get accustomed to that state where it doesn't not take so much effort then. It's just simply like you said, the sword is out and the sword has two edges. It has an edge towards the person over there and an edge towards yourself. Mm -hmm. It's really like being awake and you just breathe. You know, the sword is out and you breathe and you don't you know, these things want to come up, these little monsters or these triggers or these reactions or these needs or whatever. And if you let them kind of die on the sword and you can keep breathing, life gets really easy. You have more energy, you have more attention, more love can come through, more presence. There's a more connection. There's a lot of value from from what you're doing. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. And I, and I also want to say that I noticed how how fine the line is in my my bodies right now, that I noticed how much hysteria I sometimes have. And that when I do that, that at the same time, I notice, okay, I, I said it, this is, for example, a boundary right now, or I don't want to communicate like that. 
for example, I asked him to, um, at one point, to repeat back to me what I said, and then to notice this fear of he's gonna he's go gonna go away now. He will go now, and and to be in that state constantly of okay, if I do that, then he's gone, and that's that's also what I what I noticed, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's probably child ill state, I guess, or something. So yeah. Yeah, thank you. Dimitra, what about you? Are you doing other experiments? Yes, I do. But what it comes now is um, that I am, I had in my mind, like I understood uh, these two years that I, like, I go to a space and I pretend, and I'm like, I must be adaptive and I must be likable. So I was going to spaces and very quickly I was adapting. I still do it sometimes. And right now, what I'm experiencing, like I am in my mom's house. Next to me was my grandmother. Now my mom come. My mind was going so many things in my head. And I was practicing to say center and be able to be in that game world, in this game world, and to manage to to be myself and not hide my grandmother or hide myself or hide the... Uh, so I, the experiment is to, I am uh, experiencing to show up myself, who I am. And not who I am, but what I want to say, because what you said before, like for me, it's like, I, I don't say what I want, so I'm not relating, especially in Greece. And before, uh, my uncle was there, here, and he left his, uh, his Greek, so, okay. Uh, anyway, I managed to hold space for him for a bit, and then he, he, he wanted to, to leave, and he left the plate, you know, here, because he's Greek, so all the things women, he's not German, okay? Greek men, they, they're not German, the opposite. Then I was sitting and I was seeing the plate and I say, okay, I will have to say it. I have to say it. I have to say it. Then I said, uh, will you take your plate in the kitchen? What about, I don't remember what I said because I was panicking inside, but I said it. And he said, okay. And you know, he's a 61 years old man. That's like... Um, Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe for German woman says what is he saying? But uh, yeah, this is what is happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm. I'm in the book. I'm reading on page. Going further here, um, page two thirty four. It says. Intriguingly, meaning interestingly enough. Would you say the name of the section? Yeah, it's called Intimacy Edgework, section 7B. Is love alone is insufficient to sustain extraordinary human relating. Love alone is insufficient. Intimacy is also needed. So, I, I don't know, this is such a key because... A lot of us come from traumatic childhoods or traumatic years before now. 
And it seems or can seem in a way loveless. You know, you go to work, it's loveless. You know, you go through traffic, it's loveless. You go visit your family and they're involved in all their things and it's loveless. And it's like, and so it's like, what I think is, God, if I just could have a little love and if there was just some love around, then that would, then it would work. But it turns out that love alone is insufficient. You know, you can have ordinary relating. If you listen to the love songs, if you watch the TV shows, you know, people are always going, you know, does she love me? Does he love me enough? Does she still love me? Is she going to keep loving me? Like, you know, all these kind of scarcity of love dramas. And that's ordinary human love. But this is saying extraordinary human relating. Love is insufficient because intimacy is also needed. And that's why it's so valuable to understand the distinctions of okay well, i've got five bodies all right there's 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 so many different ways for creating intimacy that are linear and nonlinear in all five bodies that if you did not have that clarity about what's possible then it would seem like a, a burden to have to go on um trying to figure out ways for nonlinear intimacy okay yeah. i want to add something also, lately, we were in New Zealand, and, and many times I had this conversation with people who had been in relationship for decades. There were people who were married, and and when I started having this conversation about, okay, what kind of intimacy? How is it going in your relating? And and this this comment would often come of, yeah, but I love him, or I love her. So, therefore, I cannot change anything. Like, I cannot say what I want, or or make you know demands or transform the context because I love him and so or I love her you know it was mostly I was talking to women and love him and so and so therefore that's it or something mm. and and at the same time I mean there's this stories from from one of the women in possibility management who said oh yeah I was I was I was married to my husband and then and then we got a divorce and I said, well, okay, wow, you know, separate. And she said, oh, no, we're not separated. We just started over. And I just couldn't believe it that she, they went through this whole divorce and through the whole complete start over of their context and, and now are, you know, going on a journey with their kids who are teenagers and, and it's just they're having this extraordinary time. And, and this possibility, it's possible to start over even with somebody you've been with, with for decades. And so that the intimacy can be revived, like so that intimacy can happen and not just the love. So, and it's, I mean, one thing that I've observed, we, Clinton and I hold um, frying pans or coaching for couples. And the thing that is killing intimacy is what you were talking about, Dorothea, is expectation and resentment. And that was, it's all part of the ordinary um, relating part of the book and and so often we sit down with couples and you know what we hear is i i hate you i resent you about this and you know on the other side i resent you about this and then this piles and piles of years of resentment even that could have started on day one like on the first date resentment started there and the the options that you know that i offered is well you can 
you know, it's possible to dismantle resentment. So there's this process called dismantling resentment, which is taking apart your box, realizing that you've made up this whole assumption, expectation, stories that this person should show up in this way and they didn't. And therefore you feel this, you know, rage, this resent, this hatred, this resentment. And if you take that apart and saying, okay, I build this whole story up and so that I couldn't be present with you so that my gremlin, you know, would be eating or relating and, Okay, and that dismantles the resentment. And okay, but you know, it's possible that you're carrying hundreds, like thousands of resentment. I mean, it can be it can be huge. And so one possibility, you know, is to go through all these resentments so that intimacy can can finally come back, which would take, you know, years basically, because there's just so many changes, you know, so many amount of taking apart your box that you can do in one amount of time. And so the offer that we make is shift identity, you know, become a different person. You know, the identity, the box that was, that is all glued by resentment. You just let it fall in the past and you get to start over with your partner right now. And out of maybe whatever, a dozen, maybe 20 couples that I've hold space for that process for, none of them could do that. None of them chose that. Like all of them chose their resentment, chose their gremlin food. And so, so when I hear these stories of people, you know, couples or whatever, partners who can really start over, for me, it's a miracle. I mean, it's a you know, it's like you're giving, these people have given up on their box. They've given up on their, you know, on their primary relationship as their gremlin food. And that is something to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. So, and it, yeah. Yeah. And so along those lines, there, now that you have this distinction about the five bodies, it's great on, it's a valuable, a useful test in a way to check yourself for your resentments by testing what kind of intimacy you can have with your partner. So can you have physical intimacy with your partner? Can they, you know, touch you? Can you touch them? And okay. If that's, if that's okay, super, but check the other four. So, uh, so many people have resentment from, um, being afraid of being told they're stupid or being afraid of having be competed with intellectually. So you can have intellectual, you know, test intellectual intimacy, like um, tell me about mathematics or what's the, let's, let's design a game world Mm -hmm. or let's give me instructions for how to go from here to there. You know, this is this intellectual intimacy and if you cannot do that, there is resentment involved. You know, if you get if you get reactive, if you get offended, if you um, want to, you pull know, away. feel angry, want to pull away. Yeah, pull away. yeah. The so so test. You know, check yourself with your intellectual intimacy. Okay, then then check yourself with emotional intimacy. You know, can you can you share your feelings, anger and sadness and fear and joy with the other person? Many people, like I remember being in a relationship where where the relating game was, you know, my life is harder than your life. 
and so and whoever has the worst life wins. It was like this is the competition, and then and it was an emotional thing. Like if 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 you were if you were more angry or more frustrated, more sad, more scared during your day, and your day was worse, then you win. Like this kind of a, and so that was unable to be emotionally intimate then because there was resentment involved. And then, then there's this energetic intimacy. So energetic, energetic intimacy has to do with a bunch of uh, things like timing or possession of things like who owns what do you own this or do I own this? Or where should this be in the house or on the table? Or how do you set the table? Or or how do you park the car? Or it's like uh, energetic stuff is, is it balanced? Is it fair? All these kinds of things. So if you're doing things and it seems like the exchange is not fair or it's imbalanced, there's this energetic, It's you're not able to have this energetic intimacy. You're hooked or you're reactive about it. Then there's resentment in the energetic bodies. And in the archetypal bodies, there's this thing about how are you connected with your bright principles, for example? How are you connected with your archetypal lineage? And, you know, we haven't got to that part of the book yet. But if you if that conversation is like, what is your what is your how does Gaia talk to you? You know, what is your connection with Gaia or what how does how did the. How do the infinite resources talk to you? How does the nothingness talk to you? you know, how does how does the Earth Coincidence Control Office talk to you? How does coincidences? How does um, how do those things talk with you? If, if one person is luckier than another person, and if the other person has more luck because of their their karma, because of their karmic points, whatever they earned archetypally, you know, and then you go, I, I can't stand you because you're just so lucky all the time, you know. There's this resentment about being, you know, about the archetypal levels of things. And you can also collaborate and cre- create and invent intimately at the archetypal levels. But you cannot if there's resentment there. So, you know, they killed me and burned me at the stake more times than you. So I can't be with you because you're, you know, you didn't or, suffer as much as I did. What? Yeah, or you're. You're having more clients or you're making more money doing your work, you know, doing your service or, um, or you, I mean, it could also be, um, that I don't know. I don't know if that's archetypal, but it's, if, you know, you, you have the story that your partner holds space for the archetypal dimension of more of other people than you. Mm-hmm. If they put their attention, their focus, their generosity, their love towards more other people. Yeah. And there can be competition or, or... Christina, you're going to say something? What about broken collaborations or broken, even, even if you say karmic, like what if there's something about broken collaborations? I mean, betrayal, somebody being betrayed, broken promise. Yeah, or if you have the sense that that you met before in another life or something, which I don't know if that's, and but just having the sense. And, and then, yeah. It's not balanced, it's incomplete or something? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. is a place to check out. Mm-hmm. Check that out. You know, go ahead, Jeff. Well, yeah, also in holding space together and one person is doing more than the other or this is a, a, a experience this yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Christina, don't hesitate to, to put that on the table. You know, say, you know, there's a, you know, there's a sense of uh, an incompleteness. You can simply do the process, you know, the completing incomplete emotions process with that kind of an imbalance. You know, that's, mm-hmm. just do it. Just go ahead and do it. And it might might feel like you're making it up, but I'll tell you, if you do this process, it will feel better afterwards. Things will mm-hmm. complete and finish. And and so what if you're making it up? If it feels better afterwards, then just do it. You know, do the work. But doing it with the person I I have the sense of or another person? Well, I would... I, I think what Christina is talking about is, is not about what you're talking about. There's, you're talking about like ways that we create resentments through, through in the archetypal domain. Or as she's talking about connection in the archetypal domain through an incomplete, I think. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a yeah. past life thing. Something like that. But creating intimacy in the archetypal domain because you meet somebody that you feel like you have something complete with. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's an imbalance that can be handled. And Christina, if the other person can do it, you know, if they know how to feel and communicate their feelings, it's best to do it with them. And you might have a third person as a space holder just to Mm -hmm. keep it neutral, you know, and clean. But it's better, way way better to do it with that person than the the whole thing can complete. I just want to. I I don't understand, Christina, what you're what you're pointing at exactly because it sounded like you were pointing at opportunity rather than uh, conflict. But I so what I, I want to understand the conflict you're referring to. I don't. I don't see it as a conflict. I don't have a conflict. It's more. It's more like. <laughs> It, it feels like a combination of energetic and archetypal when I'm being with that person that that it feels like it's it's not a problem, but it's like a sense and I just want to check it out yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, just do it. But a third person there would be great. Yeah. Thank you. And and Jeff about what you said, <clears throat> you know, I had a I, in its personal experience, when I started holding space with Clinton, who had been doing this work for decades in possibility management, you know, I really had the story of, you know, what am I doing here? What do I have to bring? You know, who, who am I? You know, and, and, and I would really go into this beating myself up, low drama, even in trainings. And, and what I heard from Clinton, he said, I could not do this work without you. And I and I just didn't understand it. And now where I'm standing is I could not do the work without him. And, and of course I can hold space by myself. I can I can hold space, you know, trainings alone. But that's not the point. The point is that there's something happening in in this space of relating that makes the work possible. And and so, but it took me whatever four years for for me to get there. And Clinton kept, you know, holding the space, being really clear about the part of me that was making the work that we were doing possible, 
was it was there or was being invoked was being called for so i i know if if you're holding space with uh, somebody else to i don't know try that experiment with each other whatever the wherever the imbalance seems to be coming from yeah i just had an insight about a meeting where i've been um a couple of days ago it is a um, it was a meeting of space holders on a platform called Tenderly Now, but they are not in the next culture context of that feeling is a neutral information. So they are more in the thing of um, anger is bad or being alive is actually bad. And um, but but the, the context they they want to be in is to 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 love people to be in love with each other. And my experience, I had to recover. I think I'm still not recovered from that meeting. And now I realized with, with the sentences, uh, the sentence that love is not enough and that you need the intimacy, which means that you have to navigate the space with your feelings and your emotions. And now I realize that if you are not doing that, that love becomes an illusion or even worse becomes something like war or aggression mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah please keep researching that Dorte. okay keep your sword out keep asking questions keep making notes and keep sharing that okay because that those distinctions are not very common and it's really valuable mm -hmm. yeah thank you wow uh do, do you have any hints about dealing with not my own resentments, but resentments that other someone else has towards me over since years? In, like, I can only think of trying to not be hooked by that, but is there any more intelligence about how to do that? Not being hooked by it, not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sentence that I'm reading here in the book right now is we have many opportunities on a daily basis to create and explore intimacies with a partner. So whether that's your mother, I don't know who has the resentment about you, you know, whoever has the resentment about you, is it your neighbor, you know, that, but it's an intimate thing. It's an, in, you know, it's an intimate thing. <laughs> Just hit them. Hit that person. <laughs> Just throw something at them. Look at, look, I'm in the middle of a conversation. Like, oh, you're the one. They got it. They got it. They got it. Okay. There's Easter bakery involved, so it's not so easy. Right, uh, bakery. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> so, so this thing about having a resentment about somebody else is. A, a kind of unconscious intimacy. It's like, mm -hmm. if that person goes away, how can you be resentful towards them? You know, the you're, when, when the person is around and you're resentful about them, you can feel them there. And it's this, this kind of a weird gremlin feeding connection through yeah. the resentment is, and that's a kind of gremlin intimacy. And so, you know, if they want to have that, that's their offer to you. They're making this offer to you. Here's my offer. Let us have, I'm going to be resentful of you and let us have gremlin intimacy that way. 
And you can say, you know, gosh, you just offered to be intimate with me by using me as food for your gremlin so you can feel resentment. And you know what? I, I don't really, I don't accept that offer. So I'm going to make a better offer for you. And that is, we're going to have a healing resentment process <laughs> class as our intimacy. So we're going to read, we're going to read this book, go through this process, and our intimacy is going to be learning transformation. <laughs> and that'll be a different, and they're going to go, yes. Why <laughs> I've been waiting for you to say that. I just never thought of that idea. What an amazing possibility. No way. No way. Did you try it? Did you try it? You could try it. Well, look at I actually gave him this book as a birthday present and <laughs> he refused to to take it. So well, we'll see. So you know, there's this thing where you can hold the red flag for the bull in front of you, or you can hold the red flag to the side of you, not in front of somebody else. <laughs> hold it over here. And where you hold this flag, you know, where you hold the flag is makes a huge difference. And it sounds like you keep her holding it like kind of right in front of you. And you don't have, I have to a possibility. Say it again. I have a possibility. I have a possibility. Oh. That rather than giving giving the book, have them sit down with you and read the book to them. Oh. This doesn't work. Like one thing to give it's, them it's an assignment. Like, the the like a bedtime story. But, <laughs> Everybody likes oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but it, this this perspective of seeing intimacy as uh, resentment as an offer for intimacy, I think, can create something new on its own just to really fully embody this knowing that this person is wanting to connect with you. And mm. Let let them have it to start and then see where it goes. Well, I'm going to read this next paragraph because it starts opening up ideas that most of us don't think about. So, for example, it's called the section is called Sample Intimacy Edgework Experiments. And the first one is discover slowness together there's a so there's a great book called the discovery of slowness it's an actual kind of a what's it called it's based on true true facts it's based on a real guy and actually he was a, an explorer in the arctic etc but he was uh in the 1800s this guy he he just moved slow his mind moved slow as a kid they would throw a ball at him and the ball would hit him and he and then he would start to try to catch the ball because he he wasn't as fast as the ball, and people thought he was just retarded or was damaged or something, you know. But in reality, he was moving at a different speed, and when and when he was moving at that speed, the world worked differently for him, and he had access to sensations and information and insights that nobody else did because he was moving at a slower speed. So discover slowness together. The experiment is you can dis, you can experiment with the velocity of your being. And you can find velocities, the speed of your being, other than the normal high speed of the intellect. So normally we try to move everything at the speed of our mind. And this is to discover slowness together. So, so for example... Try not talking so fast. 
learn to not jump from one subject to another so fast. Do not move so fast through experiential spaces. Uh, stay in one experience for extended periods of time. You know, for example, sniff a rose for 15 minutes. When did you ever sniff a rose for 15 minutes? You know, or, or watch a candle for a half hour or an hour. You know, or, or put the grape in your mouth and don't chew the grape for a half hour. And you put the grape in your mouth and you don't chew it for a half hour. Or So this staying in one experience for an extended period of time is very, it builds matrix. It's a completely different way of relating. Hold still together. Really. How long can you stay in a kiss without moving? Should I tell him this thing? You, I don't know. You decide. <laughs> this is a real intimate thing. <laughs> there was one time when Aunt Chloe and I fell asleep kissing. Like, our lips were still stuck together when we woke up. So it's like, okay, that means stay still for a long time. Like, try this stuff. Um, savor a nuance in flavors, colors, sensations. Appreciate subtleties of your partner. Like an art lover absorbs artwork in a museum. There, there was this time we, and Chloe and I were in Paris and we were standing in front of Monet. Mm -hmm. And this one, you know, Monet is this guy who does these garden paintings. There's one in, in, uh, in this museum in Paris where it's like two meters tall by five meters long. And it's basically a pond with lily pads and lilies in it in water. And I, I walked in, I look at it and go, okay. And I, I'm I'm out of the room, basically. And then I'm I'm looking at and and Aunt Chloe, I lost Aunt Chloe. And I went back and she's still standing in front of this painting from Monet. And I'm going, Okay, I saw this painting, you know. I mean it's like water and lilies and pads, okay. So I tried to do what she was doing. So I came over next to her and I just started staring at the water and all of a sudden the water started moving. Like I could see the light reflecting off of the water in this painting. I go, what's going on? You know, and so I go, does this always look like this to you? And she goes, of course. What are, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like, I saw this painting before, but I didn't stand in front of it for a half hour. Like you are not moving. And she goes, not my problem. But so anyway, this, this is really a, a thing. It's like discover slowness together. This is an edge work experiment of massive dimensions. So uh, make use of how the opportunities unfold rather than trying to force them a certain way. This is a very cool thing. This is verging on mage work where you actually pay attention at a, at a, at a finer level, but a broader level where, where you let the opportunities unfold rather than following a pre-made plan. So, for example, don't be afraid to speak before you know 
what you're going to say. You can let yourself gush a little. To gush means like a fountain or a spraying thing. Like, like it isn't, most of us speak uh, in, intelligibly. Most of us speak pretty intelligibly. And we worked hard to be able to do that. It's a skill. And it's also a skill to cut loose, is to give it up for a while and speak unintelligibly for a reason. Like, Ava, you could do that with that person who's doing resentment <laughs> with you. Just speak unintelligibly with them for a long time. And every time they do resentment with you, just start going on. You know, just start letting it rip. Just, like, let it unfold. And and it and it will change things. It will really make things different. Because you're still trying to be intelligible. You're trying to negotiate intelligible changes. Well, for, you know, try a different tactic. You know, try something completely dimensional. You know, gush a little out loud in poetic detail, marveling at your partner's qualities of being, even if you have appreciated them before. You know, so that this whole thing, what I was just talking about, discover slowness together. This is a whole series of experiments that open up dimensions of the most humans skip over because we're moving too fast. And that, like, there's, I mean, I'm just looking at you guys right now on the screen, and each one of you has these qualities that have been skipped over. You know, in this space, we can notice things about each other and share sometimes these things. But the qualities that you have that other people have skipped over, you have also skipped over those qualities of yourself. You haven't allowed them to be present. And yet, in right now, there's a bunch of you letting letting qualities be present that are not ordinarily there because you've slowed down. Because we just stay. We're just staying at this place of being slow together. And all of a sudden, something else comes forward. Something else comes through. Something richer or deeper or softer or more delicate comes through and that that what comes through can be noticed and experienced and appreciated often often like it, it isn't have to be such a rare thing it could be your way it could be the way that you are enjoying each other's qualities like that you can do that so this is just one simple example of intimacy edgework experiments is discover slowness together anybody have anything to share about that Basia, for example i wanted to share that um there's a man that i love and he loves me and we were meeting for over a year and then it was mm, too hard and I I was I, mm, I was in some kind of uh, dying process and um, I wrote down expectations that I have and I let it go and my identity shift for sure 
and it was three months ago and it was mm, quite it was working and it was comfortable at the same time because it was like okay i am alone and we can relate and i don't have expectations and and now i see that mm, it changed because of two reasons one is that um not healed things from patriarchy that okay if we are uh, in love so i need support from you and safety and so on but i see clearly that there is another part too that my how is longing for that mm, that um, partnership something like that not just being alone and meeting some sometimes yeah thank you Basia you mm -hmm. said something really important before as you started, you said it got too hard. And most of the people on the screen here are really sensitive. They're actually really sensitive. And the world is often so hard around. I mean, I mean, we were just on this motorcycle coming home here tonight, and there was a bus near us. And the bus has this new kind of a horn that it was beeping and it was so hard and loud and sharp. It was like a sonic weapon. It was a piercing, hard sound. It was so painful. And and the, our world is made up of even trying to be together. We don't know how to behave many times, not hard. And then, then the other person has to protect themselves or has to shut down or pull back. And it's so painful to do that because the, the, the sensitive world is so rich and big and soft and dimensional, has many dimensions, the sensitive world. And we're designed for that. We're designed to be with each other in these dimensions and in this softness in the gentleness we don't even have words for it a lot of times you can spend there's there's ways of spending time with each other where a lot is happening and there's no words that can fit it and it's so uh, we can appreciate those dimensions in the softness and so i'm encouraging us to respect or honor our own softness or gentleness, our sensitivity, and to not give up on it, to not hide it away or not uh, make it hard just to be with certain people. You know, it's just kind of avoid those people or just kind of spin your energetic body, just keep spinning your energetic body and let it slide by so that you don't you don't have to get hard because it's it's a it's a valuable thing to have that sensitivity it's so valuable 
and to have access to this delicate precision and gentleness and softness is really valuable as a human being and a soul and a being. And to, yeah, to not shut it down. So thank you for saying that about the hardness thing. Fazi, did you want to say something else about that? Mm, yes, just that I I don't know where the next step is for me. So we were in some situation and then now it's in another. I am someone else now and and it, mm, I see that it's not the, the end of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's not the end, the last shape. Thank you. I, yeah, I mean, I want to say that the, you know, to start distinguishing, like to start, um, yeah, letting this, like you said, um, this expectation, you know, I, I need a man to be safe or I need him to provide, like all this stuff to let that burn, like you're doing it, you know, take away the expectation and resentment. And then this true longing for a partnership, you, I think you can trust that because it's, it's like you said, is the point is not about being alone and then we meet. It's about there's real closeness and connection and intimacy and uh, support and in like invocation of our, you know, our being, the, these qualities that have maybe have never been seen, like Clinton was saying before, that is really possible. And, and I think that's that's the partnership part. It's important to remember that it's not about waiting around for mm -hmm. someone else to do it because it won't happen. It won't happen. It starts when you make proposals. Each of us makes offers. We make proposals. We make suggestions. We make invitations. And the other person will see them or not, or be able to accept them or not. But it's really up to us to make those offers because most people cannot. Most people are not... Uh, can't, cannot even imagine the offers that you want to make. So just keep making offers. And and when the people who accept the offers, that's where you can play. That's where you can roll out, you know, where you can unfold. When you're making offers and nobody can accept the offers, you just keep making offers someplace else. You just keep going with the offers. Mm -hmm. Mark, were you going to say something before? Okay. No, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Somebody else? Yeah, I wanted to ask if this book by David Abram called The Spell of the Sensuous is on the possibility management list. I don't think so. I, I, I had to think about it when you were speaking about this slowness and this whole dimension that opens up being slow and being sensitive to all the dimensions that are going on around could you say I, the title and author again yeah i'll post it in the chat but also say it yeah it's a spell of the sensuous by david abram thank you anybody else anything right now yes actually When you get into that slow place, 
for me, I'm wrestling with the resentment I feel of the world kicking me out of that slow place. How did that it feels happen? like being kicked out of it? Yeah. How does it? Can you give an example? Like when the red light turns green? Um, more when I'm trying to interact with that world and its rules and its game world. Uh, buying airplane tickets and uh, doing a rush job, trying to connect up with a cousin of mine who I thought was going to be here. And then that cousin changed their plans. And here I am for a week with like non-schedule because I came early to see my cousin Joe. But uh, the trying to go slow in a fast environment, it's sort of like driving 40 on the freeway. It's a good way to get in an accident. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm wrestling with. That makes sense. Um, interacting with my sister. So one hint, I don't, you know, let's, you know, it's an open conversation, but it's like, you don't have to drive on the freeway. There's almost usually side roads, dirt roads, small roads, might take in, in meandering roads. You know, there's, there's usually other ways. And so you can check your assumptions. Yeah. You can check your assumptions to see about, well, do I really have to, whatever the thing is. And when, when something like that happens to me, like you're sitting there for a week and your cousin's not there, you go, okay, there's some other reason mm -hmm. going on. And then trying to go, okay, who am I supposed to be talking to? When I just start meandering around, doing kind of aimless, aimlessly moving. But the thing is, you have to keep moving so that the sideways forces can come in and move you around. If you just sit in one place and don't move, you can't you can't be directed or nudged. And so it's about keeping in enough movement to be nudged to find out the real reason you were forced to come there a week early. And who knows what it is? You know, you, you get to walk more. You know, I don't know. You discover a new a new kind of, I don't know. We could make up stuff, but. A great donut place. I was going to say, <laughs> the problem is we, there's no donuts out here. Basically. No, but where, you, where Mark is, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, what time, i tell you. I was in Los Angeles and I had one of these whole afternoons. And I, I just started walking up this road. And it was, there were these donut shops. <laughs> so every, every donut shop, I'd go in and, and I'd grab a couple and then I'd start walking. And then there were these, I think, Chinese people who had been become masters at making American donuts. And each one was better than the next. I think I probably ate half a, most of a dozen of donuts while I was walking up this road. And I still remember that as a very fine time. It's a very fine, you know, I was all by myself. It was wonderful. I don't, so anyway. You could have just to be about waking moments. You know, you're between, you're in a gap. And in the gap, you can have waking moments. And waking moments, amazing stuff happens. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've done, I've, I've done a lot of negotiating with my sister in the past four days. And it's been walking through a minefield on pens and needles. And so far, being able to negotiate it well enough that nothing's blown up. So, <laughs> but but, well but resentment and expectations. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's like a fog bank of expectations and. <laughs> so. 
trying to breathe the free air when I find it. <laughs> Next time, go in with a mask on, you know, and write expectations across the mask, you know, like expectation filter or something like that. Write that on the mask so you can breathe. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, it looks like we I know, I, Go ahead. I, I, I came up with a tool. Uh, that I want to experiment and other people to, to determine your box and your habit. The next time you go to get in your car and drive someplace, pause just before you open the door and see how many times it takes before you actually can pause opening the door and getting in your car to drive away. And you'll figure out how automatic we make some things. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I came up with this idea related to trauma because traumatized people say they don't have anything like th that somebody else re-traumatized them. That's not true. And th this is to help distinguish and pull that apart. Mm. If I become, if I feel traumatized, unless I'm really experiencing the original trauma in the present moment, somebody saying something or doing something, I'm re-traumatizing myself. Mm -hmm. I'm associating what they're doing to this past event and I'm allowing that to hook me. And this door handle exercise is my way of breaking that. Like something just happened. I'm going there. I can stop that. Yeah. Because I've had it. I've had it a half a dozen times with my sister in the past five days. And it's oh. just like I just have to go, oh, what is making me so pissed off yeah. in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's my other experience with being here and not really wanting to be. But the plane ticket was bought and it was like, what are you going to do, right? You're going to not grab the door handle. Exactly. You know, I never, I read a business book a long time ago and I never realized that a flight is just, an, you're just buying an option. Mm. Any last words from anybody? <laughs> Janet? <laughs> Came back on, Janet. Tell us some last words for this week. You have to unmute yourself, though. Well, it, no last words, but I'm cold and nearly ready to get back into bed, which isn't so inspiring, but my body will be glad to get warm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you for the possibility of investigating all these things. See you next mm. week. Have fun experimenting with Good your night. spaces and slowing down. And slowing down. down. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> <laughs>